thought it would be good to, as it were, have a, a little overview and review, if you will, <clears throat> where we have covered. We've covered a lot of ground in the last uh, few weeks. And sometimes we forget when we're in, in the middle of the forest, we can't see the trees, right? We need to sometimes pull back and see a bigger picture once again, that constant micro-macro approach to the scriptures. Context is so important. Remember, this is the final week, beginning in chapter 21 of Matthew's Gospel of Jesus' earthly ministry. Chapter 21 started out with the triumphant entry. That was the Sunday before Passover. And that's how do we know that? Well, John 12 says it was six days before Passover. So we, that's when he headed to Jerusalem there. And on that first day there, he came in and cleansed the temple. And then he continued to teach the people in the temple. And his teaching was not well received by the establishment. They became very hostile with him. And as the week progressed, the hostility grew stronger and to the point where they were plotting and trying to figure out a way that they could kill him. And as Jesus is there in, in chapter 23, he reveals the inner workings of the minds of those in the establishment, the Sanhedrin, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he pronounces seven woes upon them and revealing their hypocrisy. And, of course, the disciples are probably wanting to lighten up a little bit because it was obviously very intense and they could read the faces and the emotion and feel the tenseness and the drama that was there in the temple. And maybe in a lighthearted fashion, hey, Jesus, this, aren't the, isn't this temple awesome? Aren't these buildings just great? You know, kind of like what you do when you're a little uneasy around those kind of situations. You sort of just want to change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I see it and then Jesus didn't stop really his intensity level was there I have come to die and I am telling these guys the truth and I know it's provoking them because it is God's will that I become the Lamb of God and it doesn't matter I'm letting the chips fall where they may and by the way this temple it's going down this city it's going to be destroyed what? God wouldn't let that happen to our temple. God wouldn't let our, our, our capital city fall. And the, with astonishment, it was received by the disciples. And as they get to the Mount of Olives, which was the place where he would go after teaching, he would go in that grove of olive trees there and, re, and just relax. So the disciples obviously were provoked in thought and think, man, what when's this gonna happen and what will it be like? You know, and they ask him those questions there at the beginning of chapter twenty four. And then Jesus went on to explain you know, what it would be like during the time between his two comings. And what it would be like before the fall of Jerusalem and the temple being destroyed. And the sign of his second coming and all was all laid out there. He, all the predictions and the description of what it would be like between the two comings. You know, a time of deception there in chapter 24, a, a time of war, a time of that would, uh, would be of natural disasters taking place, persecution, lawlessness because of the absence of love. 
It would be a time that people, true believers, would have to endure. They would have to be patient and wait upon God to come and help them and save them from their situations. But also be a time to open their mouth and preach the gospel. A time to evangelize. And those are, these are the things that were uh, that we've covered in the last couple of weeks here. You know, it's again. Um, <laughs> He's now coming to the end of, of his teaching and they're uh, about to celebrate the Passover together and he knows what's going to happen after the Passover. He's going to be apprehended. He's well aware of what's going to take place. And so he, he ends this prophetic utterance of and prediction of the future, signs and all, and the second coming with parables. And parable is a... Is a spiritual truth in this case that is put beside sort of a story to convey a message, a truth that people need to know. And these parables are about the kingdom of heaven. They're little secrets as it were that God imparts to believers so that they can understand the way and the purposes of God and the way his kingdom operates. God's kingdom operates different than the kingdom of men. And God's kingdom on earth is different really than the kingdom of heaven because in heaven there's no sin. Here, well, we've got issues. We've got darkness. We've got an enemy. And so he wants people who are here, his witnesses, his disciples, to understand the secrets. So he reveals these secrets through the parables. And so parables are not the easiest thing to teach. Uh, You can spiritualize, you can allegorize, uh, and some of it's okay to do that. Uh, But there's usually a simple truth that is... Uh, Jesus is seeking to communicate about the kingdom of heaven. And so let's not, when we're going through these, uh, let's not miss the obvious of what's being uh, talked about here. And so last week we did pick, uh, there's these three, last three here. And we covered the first of the, of the three uh, last week at the end of chapter 24, the faithful servant and the evil servant. And so during this time between the two comings, uh, there's an exhortation for true disciples and true followers of God to be faithful. It's wise to be faithful. Whatever God has called you to do, he wants you to be faithful to do it, to carry it out. And when he returns, he wants you to find you doing what he's called you to do. And if you're doing that, regardless of what other people say or may think of you, God will reward you. God will bless you. But there's something that can happen when our expectation is not met. And in this case, it's the delay. There's going to be, and Jesus is trying to convey that to the disciples here, there's going to be a long interval of time. It'll be longer than you want it to be. It'll be longer than you expect it to be. And there are certain attributes and understandings that you need to have so that you can remain faithful, that you can be wise and shrewd in serving me. And so this is really what he's trying to communicate there in that first one. With that delay, often we begin to become disappointed. And when we're disappointed and disillusioned in what we think God is going to do, then the enemy can come in and lie to us. And this is sort of what happened, I see, uh, in that first parable there at the end of 24. Uh, The evil servant began to say in his heart, my Lord, my master is delaying his coming. He's probably out partying. He's doing something that, you know, dilly-dallying around. I mean, it's making some excuse. Well, God, you know, he's not really going to keep his word. Something is going on in the heart of this person. And I wanted you to make a note that 
this person has an evil heart. Something has been disconnected. Now remember, when Jesus opened up the parables in chapter 13, he gave us a description of the people who would be part of the kingdom of heaven that was on earth at that time. There would be the wheat mixed with the tares. Good and evil would exist together during this period of time between the two comings. Not everyone who professes to be a Christian is a Christian. There are wolves in sheep's clothing, so to speak, in the church today. There are people who are phony. They're, they're, they know the right words to say. They know the scriptures. They know how to pr- present themselves, but they're, they're really not converted. Now, that's kind of hard for a lot of us to grasp. How can you be playing that kind of game. There are people who go to church because they look at, well, that's quite a pool of people, you know. I can solicit them for business. And they look at it as a business opportunity to be part of a church or part of a group like that. They have no interest in spiritual things or or their relationship with God. They're just there. And they appear like everybody else. This is the wheat mixed with the tares that he's talking about. And so over time, and see, time is the true revealer of a person's heart. You know, I have that little saying that I've shared with you times, and I I really try to live by this. All men are considered, and women too, are considered godly until proven otherwise. One of the things that happens over time is that is revealed. You can't hide forever what you are. It's just, it's going to come out. And so this delay, it's part of the testing. That's why he said it was a call for endurance. It's not going to be easy. It's not easy to live for God in a crooked and perverse culture. And we are living in one. We're living in a time and and an era that good has become evil and evil has become good. You know, some people wish, well, I wish I could just be rich and I would have all the money I needed and then everything would just be fine. Just give me the money, God, and let's get it over with, you know. (laughs) No, I can tell you, for most people can't handle wealth. And there's no shame in that. What happens to people who, who get wealth that can't handle it? You need not look further than what's going on in Washington, D.C. We have evil people with lots of money, and they're the ones calling the shots. It's vividly illustrated if you're paying attention. And save for the grace of God, I would go there. I'm not better than that. That's, I'm capable of that. To lord it over to think I'm elite and I'm better than everybody else and I know more than everybody else. And that's what happens when, you, when your flesh is oversaturated with everything at once. It just gets out of hand. So don't think you're lesser because you're not wealthy and you don't have everything you want. Consider it actually a blessing that you have to trust God. Are not the poor considered rich in faith? There's nothing wrong with that. Our... It's, it's our relationship, as we will see here this morning, is that our relationship with God that matters the most. And God is no respecter of persons. He loves the, the, he loves the rich. He loves the poor. He loves us all equally. And there's nothing you could ever do to change his love for you. God loves you the, as much as he loves you today as he did yesterday and will love you the same tomorrow. You, there's nothing you can do to change that. And so we need to understand that. There's nothing we can do to curry his favor, his love. It's just he will bless those who humble themselves before him. And say, why are some people blessed and why are others not? Well, part of it is that. It's, 
God is humble, and to access God is you have to be, you have to humble yourself. And so this is part of what's going on in some of this teaching here. And so let's begin here in in, in twenty five. Again, this is uh, um, not the easiest parable to teach, um, but let's right up front. Let's just say what what is what's he trying to com- convey here? Is it people? in between the two comings of Christ, need to always be ready. They need to be prepared because the Lord could come at any time. He may not come in the air, in the rapture, in that form, but he may take you from the earth. So you need to be ready. In fact, all these things happen in the generation that Jesus spoke to. Right there. All these things that he predicted, except one, and that was the second coming. And the sign of the Son of Man coming. All the others were fulfilled to, to a great degree there. And some of them will be repeated again at the end of time before he comes the second time. And so there's a lot uh, to be said about that. But let's read through the, these 13 verses and then we'll sort of break it down a little bit. And then we'll put it back together again, okay? Uh, chapter 25 and verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard. And behold, a bridegroom is coming out to meet him. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in and with him to the wedding. And the door was shut, and afterwards the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Again, this is a parable given so that people would be ready because it would be an unrevealed time. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man will return. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. We don't know the day of our departure from this planet, when we're going to be out of the body and in the presence of the Lord. So we've got to be ready. We've got to be prepared. And so that is a serious truth that needs to grip our hearts, because if it does, it is a life-changing attitude for everyone who embraces that truth. Now, the thing about parables, and, and then you can sort of verify this in Matthew uh, 13, somewhere around verse 10 or so, but he spoke to them in parables. That's hearing they may hear and seeing they may not hear and seeing they may not see. He, it was there to conceal the truth from the person who was just generally looking in and wondering, but it would, could, a truth that could be revealed if it was sought after. So he was able to sort of sift out people who were sincere in their, in their walk with God and those who are not so sincere. And that's why parables were used. And so we need to remember that. If you want to understand the Bible, if you want to understand the truths of the Bible, you'll understand them by doing them. 
by embracing them, by seeking after them. And so a lot of people, I've read the Bible and I don't get anything out of it. Well, are you willing to bend to what it's saying? Are you willing to obey what you read about it? Once you do that, the the lights go on, literally. the, The words of the page will jump off into your mind and it's like, whoa, I did not see that before. It becomes the living word to you. It is alive. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It convicts you. It shows you. It becomes a mirror to your soul. And it's how God moves in the heart and life of a, a believer. We should not fear that. Some people are offended by that. And so they, oh, I want that. Well, you should, you should want that because it's something that we need. And so as we break this down a little bit, what do we, what do we have here? Well, we've got five wise virgins and five foolish ones and virgins are young girls they're bridesmaids essentially uh they're uh, young women who have not been married yet that's kind of the idea there uh wise uh wisdom that is one of the things uh that solomon tells us in the old testament is to to be valued above all it's something that that should be sought after it's it's the beginning of the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom so when you ha- respect god uh, wisdom uh, becomes your friend. But it, what is it? Wisdom is that, that capacity within your mind to take the knowledge that you know and apply it to your life. It, it's, it, 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 so it involves knowledge and it also involves the ability to direct your mind to obey God in a moral fashion. You know, you don't do this because if you do this, you're going to get hurt and it's going to lead to problems. And so I'm not going to do that. That's, that's what wisdom, it, it tells you what's right and it directs you in that, in that manner. And if you have it, you obey it, you know, type of thing. Now, foolish is sort of the uh, other side of that. It's, you know, simply, let's put it in our English vernacular, you're stupid. Actually, <laughs> this is going to be pretty easy for most of us. Um, the Greek word is moros. <laughs> so you can kind of know where that's going. You moron, you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a person who doesn't have any skill set, essentially. Um, sometimes we call them idiots. You get the idea. Um, but there's ten of them. And, you know, well, you know, I know that, again, we try to spiritualize. I love it, too. You know, I like to spiritualize. I think there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. But don't don't forget the main thing and keep the main thing the main thing when it comes to the main point of a parable. But you're allowed to, you know, there's a little bit of liberty here. and There's a little bit of latitude in spiritualizing. It's sort of fun. You know, those of you who are into numerology, you know, you go for it here, right? Ten. (gasps) Oh! Ooh, well, it's a number of perfection, too. You know, it's, it's, you had to have ten men to start a synagogue. And, of course, some of you are already thinking, well, there's five. Well, that's grace. And, and then there's five, you know, wise and five foolish. Well, you can run with that one if you want. I don't know where you're going, but fine. You know? <laughs> well, 50% are saved and 50% are not. You know, so half the world gets saved and half the world doesn't get saved. Well, well I don't know where that's written. But, you know, so I'm saying you can, you can fig- whatever you want to do, Fine. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> so we have lamps. Now, lamps are kind of cool. Um, you know, biblically speaking, um, they had a practical use. I mean, obviously, uh, we are so spoiled in our culture. Just think back, probably even 
A hundred years ago, most of the country at night was what? Black. It was dark. You can't drive anywhere. You fly in an airplane, the whole country's lit up. You know, the, the space shots, you know, the ocean's black, and the United States, whoa, I can see the whole country outlined with lights. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, lights are important, and lamps are important. Uh, there's that practical use. Uh, of course, we know um, there's, it's used metaphorically uh, of people. Um, remember, David was getting up in years, uh, been fighting for a number of years, and he <laughs> got a little tired, and he almost got taken out by the enemy. Uh, <laughs> um, and so this would be Second uh, Samuel twenty one seventeen uh, for, for you guys that are taking notes. Uh, Abishai said, "Look, um, y- you're done. You you, you, need, you don't need to be out here anymore because you're the lamp." Of Israel, we don't want it to, you to be extinguished, so to speak. We don't want you to die out here. We'll, we can do this. It's, it's kind of like the construction industry belongs to the to the young men. Well, it's sort of like fighting and war. You know, making war belongs to young men. So that's sort of what he was saying there. But the point is, uh, we don't want the lamp of Israel to be quenched. The leader, the guide of our nation, and and so lots of John the Baptist was called what. John chapter 5, a burning and shining light. Second Peter, uh, the, the word of God is considered light, a lamp. It's a prophetic, that prophetic word confirmed. So uh, it can symbolize, as I said there, the, a group of people or someone that leads. It can signify good works, you know, righteousness and all. Uh, we, we are to let our lights so shine before men that they see our good works, right? And are convicted and are drawn to the Lord. Wow, that, you know, that's a true believer right there. Look with that. Nobody, nobody does that except people who are Christians, you know, that kind of a thing. And, you know, the eye is the light of the body. You know, it's the gate to the heart. And so there's a lot of, uh, and so we do have room for symbolism. There is room for some spiritualizing here uh, within certain bounds of the scripture. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not here just to poo-poo that, but let's just be careful with the parables. This is the point. And then, of course, we have the bridegroom here. Now, this should be a no-brainer for those of us who know the Bible. Uh, That would be Jesus. He's the bridegroom, and that's throughout uh, the scripture. And so, uh, <clears throat> as we have taken it apart, we see the players, the, the people that are mentioned here in this particular parable. And uh, notice here about uh, these ten virgins. They all had lamps. They all had the gift of God. They all had life. You know, think about that for a moment. You have been given a most precious gift. You exist. You have life. Don't, 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 Ever forget that, what you and I possess. Well, I never asked to be born. Well, yeah, I know if we took a vote, no, we probably wouldn't have been born, right? <laughs> I wouldn't be here, I'm pretty sure. And what that guy, no. <laughs> but it, it doesn't matter. We had, we had, that's one of the things that we don't have a choice in. We, we had nothing to do with getting here. We're here. Okay, so the, the question begs, and this is the one that God's going to ask us all. You receive the gift of life. You have a lamp. You are a lamp. What did you do with your lamp? What did you do with the gift of life that God 
so graciously has given to you. Something to ponder. They all had oil available for these lamps. And we'll talk about the oil a little bit later here. But they all were waiting. Why? Because for some reason, maybe the bridegroom was picking out the gifts. I don't know. Who knows why the bridegroom was delayed? He just was. He just is. Now, we do have a hint in Scripture why the Lord waits. He's waiting for the precious fruit of harvest from the earth. And so we can gather from that, from one of the other scriptures, that the reason why God has delayed in coming back and setting up his kingdom is because there are still people, and probably even from this point forward, that are yet to be born to receive the gift of life that will receive eternal life through faith. So he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth to reach its full maturity, when the harvest will be full and complete. And apparently... We are not there yet. Now, I've been thinking, since I've been a Christian for a number of years, that there is, I, I just, there's no way I'm going to see 22,000. There's no way I'm going to see, you know, 2010. You know, it just seems, you know, are we going to see 2020? Well, I don't know. Probably. I don't know that, though. You might, I might, I might not, or vice versa. I mean, we don't really know. But there's a delay for a reason. And there's no need to question why. He's given us enough information with that thought of the harvest. So, But in waiting, things can happen. You know, you begin to think things that aren't true. You get impatient. You get frustrated. You know, when things, you're impatient, you're frustrated, and you're not, you just, you're, you're emo- you get emotionally involved. You're, you begin to lean on your emotions, and your emotions are not something that, can be trusted. We trust our emotions a lot more than we probably should. And you can be lied to, as the previous parable sort of indicated. Something was, got uh, that man, that evil servant, got sideways in his thinking. And he, he, he didn't no longer believe. He no longer had faith in what he had heard. He stopped embracing it. The other th- one of the other things that's obvious in this one is that you get a little sleepy. <laughs> okay, that'd be a that's an alert here. Wake up. <laughs> Sleeping and slumbering. Want to make the point here? The wise and the foolish did the same thing. So it's not about there's no sin in sleeping except in church. <laughs> not really. It does happen. You know, I get a little monotone. Yeah, I get it. Just go to bed earlier on Saturday night. <laughs> the point is, they were sleeping on the job. You got one job. One job only. Watch. Pay attention. Keep oil in your lamp. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that whole, it's just, you can see it. It's just going to happen. You, in delay, according to the, this one and the previous one, you can... Um, you can become critical of other people. You know, uh, this one guy began to beat his fellow servants. That would, I would say that's becoming critical. I don't like you anymore. You know, you can eat and drink. 
In other words, you can begin to indulge your flesh. Yeah, well, my grandmother said Jesus was coming back and she's been gone a long time. You know, you can start rationalizing your behavior and just indulging your flesh. You have to be very careful. You can get lazy. You know, if you overeat, you know, you overdo the carbs. Knocks you out every time, right? Um, you just, a lot can happen when you're waiting. You can get lazy. You can get, you know, through bad living, you just blind, become spiritually blind. You can begin to associate with bad company, as previously noted. You know, bad company corrupts good manners. It's just what the way it is. You know, you can, the true test in waiting is revealed of what you really are, what I really am. So backsliding is something that can happen while we're waiting. And so they all slumbered and slept. They became drowsy. But then uh, they awoke at midnight. So this all, all these things happened to both the wise and the unwise accordingly. It caught them off guard. You know, this is the whole thing about not knowing when Jesus is going to come back. It's going to catch people off guard. Now let's flip this around and think for a minute. Let's just say that the Lord's coming back tomorrow morning at 8.30 on the nose. What would you do? Well, let's just go home. Catch up on a couple things before he comes. You know, you just, you just, if something changes immediately or move it up, move it up you know, a couple years from now. Well, I got time to get everything done that I want to do before that happens. It changes everything. God is wise. He knows what our fallen nature is capable of doing. And so he's trying to keep us centered on him. And one of the ways to do that is to, to let us live not knowing when he's coming back or when we're going to be going home to meet with him. And it's, it, it actually breeds good things in us like faithfulness, testing of our heart. Those are good things. And the idea here is that the Lord wants us all to be ready. Let's, you know, let's not miss the obvious here. He wants us to be ready no matter when he comes. You know, you, you just know you're going to sleep. You know you're going to slumber. You know you're going to have the... You're not going to be 100% on the money every time. Now, I'd like to think every time I step behind the pulpit, I am just going to nail it. But I know I have my moments. And it's like, you know, this is really struggling, you know. (laughs) You know, you may not know it, but I might know it. And it's like, oh. But you're just not always there. There's going to be that time where you slip, you sleep, you slumber. But don't, that should not be the way of life. He said, uh, not only are you to be ready, but to be watchful. Pay attention and this is important. Pay attention to what's going on around you. What's going on in the world? What's going on in the church? You know, the Bible talks about winds of doctrine blowing through the church. They just, they come and they go. They come and they go. And that's why we need to be students of the Word. You're able to pick up on it. Like, you know, we've had the churches. <laughs> I mean, it's all about entertaining the people. Uh, years ago, it used to be all about faith and claiming it and naming it and blabbing it and grabbing it. I mean, it was all kinds of 
extreme faith doctrines. And these things have come, they've gone. Who realized that really doesn't work? And, you know, people have itching ears, the Bible says in the last days. And so th- these guys learn how to t- tell people what they want to hear. And while they're doing that, they're slipping their hands in their wallets and taking out what they would like to have for themselves, you know. So many false prophets. He's many false teachers. Jesus said we're to be watchful. And so uh, that's what we have to do while we're waiting. But notice here, they all heard the cry of the bridegroom. He's coming. Does the cry of the bridegroom remind you of anything else scripturally? Some of you guys know this. You know the word. Does 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two ring a bell? Ding, 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 ding. Let's turn there. Because I'm going to ring your bell, okay? <laughs> you should know this one. What's going to happen? What is the cry of 1 Corinthians 15, 52? That helps you come out of that sleep and that slumber when you have to turn your pages in your Bible, right? Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Hallelujah. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality, etc., isn't that great? That, that's the cry. Now turn with me while you're there uh, to 1 Thessalonians. A couple more pages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. The cry of the bridegroom. Verse 13 says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Why, why wouldn't Paul want you to be ignorant? Because there's a tendency for people to be ignorant. He wouldn't have said that if it it weren't a a real possibility. So we're not supposed to be ignorant, brethren. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord." Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Are you comforted by that? Isn't that great? I think, I think Gabriel's reaching for the trumpet, man. I think it could happen at any time. There's, I mean, I do think, Lord, let's just wrap this program up. I'm, you know, personally, Lord, I'm ready. I know you are, son, but I'm not, so get over it, you know. Uh, those are the conversations you have <laughs> with the Lord sometimes, right? But notice here, they heard that, and they all did the same thing. They rose up, they trimmed their lamps, they got themselves in order. What do you do when you, why do you trim a lamp? Well, because as it burns, it, it, the wick 
dies and there's death on the end of it and it needs to be trimmed off. Why? So that it burns bright and clear and it, it, it does its best illumination work when it's trimmed and, and fully uh, soaked with the oil. And so that's sort of what they're doing. Isn't that what we're supposed to do with our lives? I'm going to spiritualize here a little bit. Cut away the dead things in your life. What is keeping you from shining and burning brightly for the Lord? You know, that's our responsibility. We're to purge our th- ourselves from things that, that are unhealthy, things that are not good for us, things that don't aid us in our witness for the Lord. Cut them out. Remove them from our lives. We need to be soaked in the oil. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with things of God. Now, notice here, and this is where the break occurs. Everything at this point between the foolish and the wise were identical. Everything on the outside looked exactly the same, but this is the change. The foolish did not take oil with them. There's an insinuation that they didn't have it to take with them because they hadn't taken the time to purchase it, to have it available, to have it ready. They were not prepared for what was coming. They didn't really believe in their hearts because if they would have really believed, they would have prepared. Just because the Lord delays, it's no excuse for you and I not to be prepared. These guys were using the delay as an excuse not to prepare. Well, I've, I'm young. I've got plenty of time. I don't have to really prepare. I, you know, when I get older, you know, like you, you know, then I'll seek the Lord. I mean, I can't remember. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that when I've witnessed the people. Well, when I get older, I'll seek the Lord then. I've rarely seen that happen. The idea, too, here is, you know, they're, they're going to the people with oil. Give us some of yours. Look, <clears throat> it doesn't work that way. You can't, your spiritual preparedness can't be taken from somebody else. It's your responsibility. Well, it's, it's not up to your mom. It's not up to your dad. It's not up to your, your pastor, your wife, your husband. It's up to you, personally. You have to be the one preparing, making preparations for that. Now, <clears throat> again, I sort of <clears throat> spiritualized the oil there, but I think we're in pretty good ground here. I think, you know, um, it's a symbol of the Spirit of God. It's the symbol of actually the Word of God. Uh, we're to hold forth the Word of life uh, in this dark and wicked world. It's the, to shine as burning lights. You know, there's all those kind of connotations throughout the Scripture. Uh, the oil, uh, the olive oil was pressed and used for lighting within the temple. Uh, so you have lots of, um, of that sim- symbolism throughout the scripture. You know, but you know, you sort of, what goes on? And I, you know, I was not raised in the church. I had a sort of a radical conversion and I just was taught early on, I need to read the Bible every day and I need to pray and talk to God and walk with Jesus okay all right 
I didn't even, it took me three months to figure out I was actually a con- converted. You know, like, what happened to me? You know, I don't know. What I, God was real, but now he is, you know. So I was really naive about a lot of things. And I, but in, in one sense, it was good because I didn't have any past church history of baggage to get in the way. It was just, wow, I have a relationship with God now. And it was, you know, it's just refreshing uh, to do that, to have that kind of walk. And so, to me, reading the scriptures every day is should be normal. That's the normal Christian thing to be doing. Not because you're religious, but because you have a relationship with the the author. And you love him. And, and the author speaks to you through what he's written. And like I said, that experience of the the words jumping off the page into your mind and heart and, and changing your life. Very, very powerful way to live. Here, I will say this for those who think, well, how do I really prepare? Just by doing that. I believe if you're walking with the Lord every day, doing the best you can, though you might sleep or you might slumber, you might slip, you might fall, if you're seeking to do the Lord's will, you're in His Word, you're praying, you're attending church regularly. You really understand the dynamic and the authority of the church of God and that assembly of the believers and the healing and the power and the blessing of, of God's being in, with God's family, the pillar and ground of the truth, the representative, that, the representative of him on earth between the two periods of his coming. When you recognize that and you're, you're doing those things, you really are preparing yourself. You're making yourself ready. You know, the exhortation that we get from one another, the exchange. We have the public, you know, ministry of the word regularly. And this is important. But we also have in the back, and anytime you're together with your brothers, two or three, you have the private ministry of the word. And there's a power there. It's, un, it's unmistakable, but it's almost, we don't even detect it sometimes. Your life, believe it or not, your life exhorts me. It encourages me to keep doing the right thing. And so never underestimate any of those things because that's what helps keeps you ready, keep you ready to prepare you for the coming of the Lord. We should never let anything supersede our watchfulness or our preparedness in waiting for the Lord's return. Let me ask you some tough questions here. And I don't expect you to answer them out loud. And you know, probably know me by now where I'm going with this. Are you letting things getting in the way of your relationship with the Lord and your preparedness for His coming? Are you making your spiritual growth a priority? Because that's what we're talking about here. Is your spiritual life a priority to you? And are you ready? Right now, are you ready... If, to meet the Lord if he would take you before the rapture, before he comes again. You know, go and buy from the merchants. And so again, here, here's sort of a breakdown where you can't, it, it, it loses some of this. You, you can't buy anything from God. You can't purchase salvation with money. You can't buy spiritual gifts with a donation to the church. Everything that God gives is by grace. It's free. He paid the price for it. It's already been paid for in full so that we could have it. 
And it's given by grace, which means you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. It's given out of a generous heart of love because God wants you to be the best you can be for him. And he'll give it to you for the asking. But you have to ask. You have to seek after it. You have to want it. Want it. Like Paul said of the spiritual gifts, desire spiritual gifts and seek after them. You know, that's what we're supposed to do. So we can't purchase them with money, but we can pay a price. And I think that price is self-denial. Well, I'd rather watch TV or read my Bible. Oh, I'll, you could didn't have to go there, did you? Yeah, I do. Because entertainment is the death knell of the Western culture church. Entertainment slaughtering us. We're getting chapped. We're getting beat down. We're feeding our flesh through that device. You know, what do they call amusement for? You know, like, you know, it's no words. A means no. Amusement means to think. So what does that tell you when you're being amused? You're not thinking. That's doing the thinking for you. I'm not saying it's sin per se every time you watch TV. And I'm not saying it telling you to, all right, go home, you know, throw, rip it off the wall and throw it in the garbage. I'm not saying that. But are you controlling it? Or is it controlling you? And well, I, you know, I knew I, I need to read my Bible more. Do you? Well, then do it. Do it. And deny yourself a show. You know, if you had a little, it's called military calls it discipline, <laughs> right? We're in the Lord's army. We're called to be disciples, which means we have discipline. We are learners, as it were. And I'm not saying these things to be mean or to be judgmental at all. It's just we have to set our priorities. And we have to make them and stick to them. Well, you know, I'm trying not to let take this Jesus thing too far. Really? You could take, that's a revelation to me. I can take Jesus too far? Like how far, how far is too far? Well, it's all you talk about. Well, you, you that, well, you're a pastor. I'm well going to let you slide on that one. Well, I wasn't always a pastor, but I've always loved Jesus and I'm, he's number one on my list. I am heavenly minded and you should be too and I know most of you are. Because of the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you will be. Who is more heavenly minded than Jesus Christ? And how much good did he do? That'll be your judge. I like what Jim Elliott says. We're pretty much familiar with him. He's a great man, died at 28. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When you put your priorities straight and you're putting the word of God as the first and foremost in your life what you are losing in time to do other things and other interests which of mostly our earthly interests will perish the things we buy will perish with the using the time and effort we put into our spiritual walk is eternal you'll have some, you'll have a return on that investment on the other side that is your spiritual 401k if you want to look at it that way you business guys I wondered what that would be like to have a 401k 
I don't know, but I, I sure want one of those in heaven. <laughs> and so we can't purchase it with money, but we can deny ourselves and pay a price to receive grace by spending time with Jesus. You know, he told the church in Laodicea, and we are here, Revelation 3. We are here, and it is full-blown in our faces. And I'm just going to read this real quickly. Revelation 3.14, if you're taking notes. This is the church of Laodicea in the end times. These things says the Amen and faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, I become wealthy, I have need of nothing. And do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that your shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And to anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. For as many as I love, I rebuke <clears throat> and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. For behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him <clears throat> and dine with him. Excuse me. <clears throat> and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I don't know about you, but I am poor, I am blind, and I am naked, and I need what Jesus Christ is offering to give me if I will simply just ask for it. And so I want to encourage us as a body of believers to do that. To buy from Jesus so that we can be prepared. We can be ready when the trumpet sounds or when he takes us by the hand and leads us into the promised land of heaven. You see, the foolish ones missed the wedding. In fact, is they didn't even have a relationship with the, the bridegroom. I don't know you. We only know God because we are in a relationship with Him. We're conversing with Him and He with us. You know, when it comes to devotion and our devotional life, I find this as so important. This is a test. Job had this commit. Job had a commitment to this. I esteem your word more than my necessary food. That means no. In simple terms, it's no Bible, no breakfast. Well, wait a minute, you're cutting pretty deep there, bro. Yeah. But it's spiritual food is more important than your physical food. You look at the scriptures. Daniel, he prayed morning, noon, and in the evening. David, much the same throughout the Psalms. You can see that there's that pattern. And that's, those are, you know, so really what we're saying all day long, we're, God is part of our walk. God is part of our life. Well, I'm a busy guy. I bet you are. We all are. Servants of God are busy. We want to be fruitful for the Lord. I don't know if you guys remember Emily Post. She, she, 
she died uh, shortly after I was born. So past generation, she was Miss Etiquette. She wrote all the books on good manners, which I probably wouldn't heard if I read them, right? <laughs> I asked my wife, right? <laughs> so she was asked this question. Well, what's the correct procedure when one's invited to the White House and has a previous engagement? Well, she answered, an invitation to lunch or to dine at the White House is a command and automatically cancels every other engagement. You get where I'm going? Christians have a daily engagement with the King of Kings. His priority has claim all over all others. There is no competition here. Would we drop every... If we were invited to the White House, let's drop the political preferences here. Just get with me here. If we were invited to the White House, would we not go because of the high honor and that high office of our land? Of course we would. We are being invited into the court of the king of the universe anytime. We're his children and he loves us and he's like... I want to talk to you, son. I want to talk to you, my daughter. And we, we, no, I've got to watch TV. This is a really neat movie, Lord. I'm going to watch. You know, do you want to watch with me? Uh, no, not really, because I'm not into that. But I mean, you know, what are you going to say to that, right? And so you kind of get the drift here of what Jesus is trying to convey through this passage. We are prone not to prepare because of the delay. We're prone not to be ready, but he's requiring us to be ready, to prepare, shall we pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you for this story, parable, and it, Lord, we're convicted. We can never give you as much time as you deserve, because we're self-centered, and we have ideas of ways that to find our own fulfillment or things that we think will fulfill us when in reality it's your will and all the things that we long for and desire you'll give us in your way because we we know that you always give the best to those who leave the choice with you and that if we make you first and we seek first the kingdom of God you'll add all these other things to us and so Father Bless Calvary Chapel, Greenville, Lord. Bless us with this kind of heart where we just are madly in love with you and we spend time with you and we put you first because you're priority one. Lord, forgive us when we've fallen. Wash us clean and help us to start afresh, even today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand?